Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. If you're visiting with us today, um, we typically just move straight through books of the Bible as part of our sort of routine week in and week out preaching schedule. And we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament if you're having trouble finding it. We understand the main idea of this book to be about Jesus the King and the kingdom that he has brought, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and to be a member of the kingdom of heaven. Here, chapter 5, we're um, making our way through what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. We've been uh, studying the blessing that Jesus pronounces upon his people and the call that he's given us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And here in chapter 5, 17, all the way through chapter 7 and verse 12, the theme for Jesus is the law and the prophets, that is his relationship to the Old Testament. So Matthew chapter 5 and verses 17 to 20 is where uh, we'll spend our time this morning. So as you turn there, we read this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. We thank you for these words of your son Jesus recorded for us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by your servant Matthew. Father, we confess that even as we've read them this morning, we feel the weightiness of what Jesus has said. And so we pray that you would be our helper, that you would come and teach us what Jesus means, and that you would help us to live in light of what Jesus says, where we desire to trust in Christ and to follow him. Would you help us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever had just one of those meetings. Um, Early last week, I had the privilege and the responsibility, really, of of going to uh, what we call our lead team meeting for pastors in the Converge denomination. And on my way to the meeting, I received the agenda in my email and began to look it over as I stopped, of course, for Starbucks. And I found that the the hot topic on the agenda was a very difficult question, that being, what are we to do as pastors about the issue of medical marijuana? I thought to myself, well, this will be just fantastic. Um, So having arrived at the meeting after the pastors had all gone around and shared a praise and a hardship and, and asked for prayer and different things like that, after we'd 
shared lunch with one another and come back into the room. By the time we finally got around to talking about medical marijuana, there was hardly any time left in our meeting. And I had to laugh as uh, one of the pastors over at Old North, a uh, sister church or a partner church in Canfield, looked at the room and said, the good news, brothers, is that we're going to solve the issue of medical marijuana in 15 minutes. Of course, with a large degree of sarcasm. I say that because I'm tempted to say something similar this morning, because as I came back to the text here in Matthew chapter 5 and did what I always do, I studied the passage on myself and, uh, by myself and then went to commentaries, I found myself just distraught by some of the things that I was reading. So for instance, the first commentary I turned to was a commentary by a man named D.A. Carson, his book entitled Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and His Confrontation with the World. And the first thing that D.A. Carson says about this passage is this, Matthew 5, 17 to 20, are among the most difficult verses in all the Bible. I thought, well, that's lovely. Maybe I'll find someone else who will actually help me. thought of Dr. Pennington. I took his class on the Sermon on the Mount in seminary at Southern Seminary, so I opened up his book, The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing, a theological commentary, and read this right out of the gates. Not only is this passage crucial to the whole of the sermon, that is the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus' statements condensed into this compact paragraph also sit at the core of one of the greatest and most contentious questions of broader Christian theology. What is the relationship of Christianity to Israel and Judaism or the New Covenant to the Old Covenant? So you see, I come before you this morning wanting to say, good news, brothers and sisters, but I am going to solve one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, per Carson, which raises one of the greatest and most contentious questions in Christian theology, a la Pennington, in 30 minutes. 25 at this point. Um, but I, I, before we even begin, I, I just want to ask the question, why? Why? Some of you are asking that question. Why? If this passage is, as the scholars say, one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, if it is one of the most contentious passages in all of Christian theology, wouldn't we be better to just skip it? Move right along to verse 21. And the answer, of course, is no. Why? Because Jesus said it. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to take Jesus seriously, it seems to me that when he speaks about something, we ought to listen. And it's not as though we're talking about, you know, sort of how many angels can fit on the head of a pin or whether God is able to create a rock so heavy that not even he can lift it. No, we're talking about something that is theological, no doubt, but immensely practical. And if you have question about that, all you need to do is look at verse 20. Look at what Jesus says. Therefore, before I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It seems to me whether or not we've entered the kingdom of heaven is the most profoundly practical thing that we could talk about this morning. Theological, yes. Intensely practical. Now, what I want to do in my attempt to solve this very difficult passage in a brief amount of time is to give you at the at the outset, what Matthew wants us to know. What is this text about? 
Simply put, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, and so His people now obey them by obeying Him. Every word in that sentence has been carefully chosen. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, and so His people now obey them by obeying Him. That's the meaning of our passage this morning. We have two points. First of all, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. And then secondly, disciples do and teach the commandments with exceeding righteousness. First, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, verses 17 and 18. Now, before I even reread the passage, let's just apply the text right out of the gate. Notice that the first two verses are aimed directly at your mind. Do not think. Jesus, loved ones, cares profoundly about the way that you and I think. What happens in our minds? Jesus is concerned about that. He says, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think that. Think this. There is a wrong way per Jesus to think about the Old Testament, and therefore a sinful way to think about the Old Testament. And there is an obedient, Christ-exalting way to think about the Old Testament. Do not think, he says, I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Well and good, but what does that even mean? What are the law and the prophets? And imagine that that's not part of your everyday vocabulary. You don't talk to people at the water cooler at work about the law and the prophets. It'd be great if you did. I'd encourage you to do so, but you probably don't. Not normally the way that we talk. Let me take you back. Let me take you way back to a time before our Old Testament was old. To a time when no one would have ever referred to the Hebrew Scriptures as the Old Testament. They would have called it the Law and the Prophets. The Law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the Prophets, everything on from there. All throughout Matthew's Gospel, anytime you see that phrase, the law and the prophets, the law or the prophets, it's a reference to the Old Testament in toto. So Jesus says, do not think, it's wrong to think, it's bad to think, that I have come to abolish the Old Testament in toto. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Again, a bit of application. I may not abolish the Old Testament. I may not ridicule the Old Testament. I may not ignore the Old Testament. I may not diminish the Old Testament. I may not do any of these things with the Old Testament unless, of course, my aim is to be at odds with Christ. I have not come to abolish. I have come to fulfill. Lovely word, that, fulfill. Matthew's used it over and over again in this book. I'm going to take you on a whistle-stop tour. You don't have to follow with me. You might just want to listen. 
To all the times that Matthew uses this wonderful word, chapter 1, verse 22, all this took place, he writes, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Chapter 2 and verse uh, 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Chapter 2 and verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 4 and verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. It's painfully obvious that Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the one who fulfills the prophets. And we get that. Jesus stands in relationship to the Old Testament prophets as the fulfillment of the things that they looked forward to. We get that. But look at what Jesus says. He doesn't say simply that I have come to fulfill the prophets. What does he say? I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So in Jesus' mind, Jesus' understanding of the Old Testament is that all of it, even the commandments, stand in a prophetic relationship to Him. So where do you get that? I get it from one of the key verses in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. As Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, He says, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, Matthew eleven twelve, 12, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Here we go. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He's saying all the Old Testament, all of the laws, the commandments, the poetry, the Psalms, the prophets, all of it finds its fulfillment, its completion in me. So that all of Scripture has been pointing forward, looking ahead to the days when John the Baptist would come as the forerunner to Jesus and the kingdom of heaven would be ushered in in its beginning. All of the Bible, Jesus says, points to me. Now this is difficult for some of us because we think about the prophets much in the same way that we think about Marty McFly in Back to the Future 2. Follow me here. You'll remember that Marty McFly in Back to the Future 2, as he's in the future, he finds himself a sports almanac that has sports statistics all the way up to the year 2000. And he fancies that he'll take that almanac back home to the present and he'll make some bets and make some money. What could be the harm in that? If you've got special insight into exactly what's going to happen in the future, why not take advantage of it? You think about the, about the prophets in the same way. They're men who have special insight into exactly what's going to happen, and they're able to predict precisely when, where, and how certain things are going to happen. Certainly that's true at points, but it's not always true. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus. You can't get past Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. How did He create? He created by His Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. You don't get very far into the New Testament before you realize that Jesus is the true seed of Abraham, the one in whom all of the nations are to be blessed. It doesn't take much further to realize that Jesus is the prophet just like Moses that Moses pointed forward to. That Jesus is the true and eternal Son of David, the King 
of all kings, that Jesus is the one who brings us back from a separation from God, the true exile, and brings us into God's fatherly presence. The entire Old Testament points, screams even, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in uh, Cleveland, Alistair used to always say that the Old Testament is a story without an ending. And that's really good. I sort of picture it like a, a show that you may binge watch on Netflix or Hulu or wherever you choose to watch your television. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's had this experience. You find a show that you like, you watch one episode, ends, you look at your wife or your friend or your children and you say, just one more episode. And then after that episode, just one more episode. And before you know it, you've watched an entire season in a night and you feel absolutely dreadful about yourself. But you know how it goes, right? You, you begin to watch the series and, and, and you start to see where the show is going and you start to develop in your own, in your own mind, your own idea of how everything is going to be resolved. Maybe it's a whodunit and you start to pinpoint who you think done it. Or better for our illustration, maybe you think about the unsung hero, the unlikely hero who's going to come and set everything right. And finally you get to the final episode and you're about to see how it all plays out and you go, just one more episode. And you watch it. And you see how all the tension is resolved. You see how the story is brought to its happy ending. And you think, oh my goodness. How didn't I see that? It's so obvious it was the butler. The whole time. They've been dropping hints and bits all along the way. And don't you know that's exactly what happens to us when we read the Old Testament all the way straight through until Jesus comes on the scene. We go, oh my goodness. This is how God does it. He does it through His Son. He condemns sin and forgives sinners in His Son. It all points to Him. For our purposes here in Matthew, let's just bring it down for a moment. The law of the Old Testament, the commandments of the Old Testament prophesy of the One who is to come, this is Jesus, who preaches the commandments of God in truth. The righteousness that is contained in the Old Testament points forward to the righteous one who commands his people to walk in righteousness. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. And indeed, he does. Notice with me how long this program lasts, verse 18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that is the equivalent to a lowercase i in Koine Greek, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That is, until everything that God has said about His redemptive plan in Christ is fulfilled. Until that day when Jesus returns in glory, the Old Testament is the authoritative Word of God for the people of God. As Sally Lloyd-Jones says perfectly in the brilliant Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers His name until it's all wrapped up. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Notice with me now that disciples do and teach the commandments with exceeding righteousness. Some of you are, are looking for a, a gasp of air in the midst of the weightiness of the theology. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, what practical application does this have? I want you to notice in verses 19 and 20, if, if verses 17 and 18 are theological, 19 and 20 are practical. Notice Jesus doesn't say, therefore, go to seminary to figure this out even more. 
He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. This theology is not impractical. The other day, Henry was in the backseat of the car. He was looking at a book on Minecraft. It's a video game, if you don't know. And he declared with great boldness, this is the theology of Minecraft. And we thought to ourselves, well, that might be really practical. I can see how there'd be some usefulness in that for you, but for me, there's absolutely nothing there, right? But notice here, the theology of the relationship of the Old Testament to Jesus, it is vital for all who name the name of Christ. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. Can you imagine the ulcers? that I was given in my study this week, understanding the weightiness of how I teach the commandments. That brings the authority of God's Word to bear on a man's soul, unlike almost anything else. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That is a play on words. Relaxing the least of the commandments makes you least in the kingdom. Notice the parallel in verse 20. You will not even enter the kingdom. There's a lot at stake. Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments. What are these commandments? These commandments are everything, everything that the law and the prophets command. Jesus has said, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Therefore, we're not going to fiddle with even the least, not even the slightest iota or dot. It's all in play. Does that make you nervous? Better. 600 and something commandments in the Old Testament, do you even know them all to obey them? Jesus is not, not even the least. Clear reference to the Old Testament. Anybody who relaxes or teaches others to do the same will be called least. But whoever does them. Now here's where it is impossible to be too careful with language. This is where theology is absolutely vital. Because loved ones, the question is not do I need to obey the Old Testament? That is not the question. The question is, how can I, how should I do and teach the Old Testament? And there are two hints here in this passage. And the first is that we must do and teach the commandments in relationship to Jesus. If Jesus is the fulfillment Understand this. If Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament says, it should be self-evident you cannot understand the Old Testament apart from Him. If Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, then you cannot understand the law apart from Him. So view the entire Scriptures as one big, massive highway. On this end, you have this wide lane of all 600 and something Old Testament commandments. And in the middle, it bottlenecks with Jesus. And Jesus serves, as it, as it were, as the, the filter, the governor 
on this Old Testament law, and then it expands out in the commandments of Jesus and the apostles. So yes, we obey the Old Testament, but we obey it in light of Christ. So boy, this is heady. This is as relevant culturally as it comes. Because if you have not been asked yet, you will be. Why are you Christians so ramped up about human sexuality, but not about eating shellfish or wearing clothing that's woven of two different kinds of cloth? If you haven't been asked that, then either you're not engaging with people that, that is a common question, and, and this is a legitimate question, because you answer it. Do you know the answer? Because there's an answer. And the answer is, well, because Jesus affirmed human sexuality as, it, as it's pronounced in the Old Testament, and He told us that all foods are clean in Mark seven nineteen. That's why. I obey the Old Testament by obeying Jesus and the Apostles who uphold the law and the prophets. I obey the Old Testament by obeying Christ. It is illegitimate to say, as some in contemporary Christianity are saying, that we should, quote, unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Let me tell you what happens. You unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, it'll be about five minutes before you unhitch yourself from Jesus. But at the same time, it is illegitimate to leap over Jesus to the Old Testament law and live as though He never came. We obey the Old Testament by obeying Jesus. The second and very important qualifier is that we do and teach the commandments from the heart with exceeding righteousness. Here is the payoff. Here's what it all boils down to. Verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, surpasses that, is more perfect than that of the scribes and Pharisees, forget being the least, you're not even in. Do you see that in verse 20? I mean, the people who heard this, it would have been similar to someone coming to me and saying, well, you know, Mike, if you ever want to be athletic, you're going to have to play hockey better than Sidney Crosby. My first response would be, I need to learn how to ice skate. <laughs> absolutely impossible. How can you do that? The scribes and the Pharisees, they're, they're the absolute religious superheroes of the day. They're phenomenal. They're tithing from their spice rack. I mean, I can't even begin I'm not a tennis fan, but I do know that when I was a kid, maybe the most famous tennis player was a man by the name of Andre Agassi. Remember Andre Agassi? He used to do commercials for Canon, the cameras, and the tagline was so perfect. It was, image is everything. Image is everything. Really? Image is everything? This is a man who won Olympic gold medals in tennis. This is a man who went to the World Series or the Grand Slam of tennis multiple times to the finals. And he writes in his autobiography around about 2009, he says, I play tennis for a living even though I hate tennis. I hate it with a dark and secret passion, and I always have. This is a massive disconnect, isn't there? 
And when Jesus is putting his finger on this need for you and I to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, he's putting his finger right on this. Because all the religious leaders of the day, they would have said, I obey the law for a living even though I hate the law. As a matter of fact, I hate it with a dark and secret passion, and I always have. I obey the law because image is everything. Brass tacks. Jesus fulfills the law and commands his believing disciples to walk with him in obedience. That's what it means to follow Jesus. When we talk about following Jesus, we mean a relationship of trust that issues in actual, real-life obedience. And here's the thing. The Lord knows. He knows each of our hearts this morning. He knows whether we obey with an exceeding righteousness that flows from a heart of love and gratitude for the forgiveness of sins that we've been given by the sacrifice of Himself. And He also knows if we obey simply to enhance our church cred. He knows that He knows if we'll obey in the quiet place when no one's watching. He's with us in that room late at night with the computer open and no one around. He knows whether or not we need external pressure placed upon us to obey. He knows this morning whether when you and I sing, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, whether you really think man's praise is empty. He knows. And those who have been brought into a saving relationship with Christ truly as the fulfillment of the Old Testament hope will they obey His commands not perfectly. Don't misunderstand me. But internally. They are those who are poor in spirit, broken over their sin. And those who hunger and thirst for greater obedience and righteousness. He knows. And it's my estimation that there are some in the sound of my voice who, who think deep down, it's, it's almost ingrained in your spiritual DNA, that the solution to understanding that I don't add up is to dig in and try harder to add up. That might get you the praise of the people around you, but that'll never get you the exceeding righteousness that Jesus demands of His people. The right solution is to come before Him broken and poor in spirit and saying, oh Lord Jesus, I want to obey You. My heart is Yours. Rule and reign in me. Write your law upon my heart by your Spirit. Help me to be the one who does and teaches even the least of the commandments by obeying you.
We do that. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And I say to you, that is my best attempt to solve one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, one of the hardest questions in precisely 30 minutes, and now 55 seconds. Father, we thank you that, that you tell us exactly how to think about the Old Testament in relationship to Christ. That Jesus teaches that it's not abolished in him, but fulfilled in him. All the patterns of salvation ultimately pointing to Jesus who comes and saves his people. All the righteous commandments pointing to Jesus, the true teacher of righteousness, who will then preach the commandments of God with purity. Teaching His disciples to obey with an exceeding righteousness that's not merely external to be seen by others, but internal in our very hearts. Lord, so many of us find ourselves this morning poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that You require. I pray for each and every one here this morning who has that thought in their mind, that, that feeling in their heart that you would, you would comfort them with Your Word. Blessed are You. Or some of us have never even thought through these things. What it means to truly follow Jesus and to be obedient to Him. We pray for those that You would point them to Christ. They would turn and trust and then that they would begin to walk in obedience to You. Lord, we pray that anything that was unclear would be made clear by Your Spirit, and that Jesus would be exalted, and that we would be made more like Him. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.